Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Off Air. It's your weekly news, sport, and pop podcast where Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart our top three stories of the week and give you a little look behind the media curtain. If you want to get more involved and let us know what you think of any of these stories, jump into our Facebook group. It's called Off Air. Just search that in Facebook because we would love to know what you think of them. Uh, Each week, I surprise Nick with the story, so he doesn't know what I'm about to throw at him, but I'll tell you what we're going to get into. We'll do Lockie Loves Everybody. It's the Bachelor finale that has people riled up, plus the private school boys that have blown up Muck Day and even have the Premier involved. And lastly, what if he just doesn't leave? Donald Trump keeps on alluding to the fact that he might not leave office peacefully if he loses, so what would that actually look like? Those are our stories. We're getting into it on the other side of this on Off Air. Tim, Nick, yeah, let's with Nick and Tim. It's real talk. Yeah. It's real walk. This ain't gossip. It's just what we say when we're off air. It's real talk. It's real talk. Just two opinions. We spit what we say. We off air. It's real talk. It's true talk. It's two opinions. We spit what we say when we off air. Hello. Hello. Oh, is that all you're giving me now? Far out. You usually do like a really nice introduction. What happened? What do you want me to say? Hello, Nicholas Stewart. How are you this Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of enthusiasm I'm looking for. No one just starts a conversation with an open-ended hello. Okay. How are you today, Nick? How's your week? How's your life? Yeah. Going well. Thank you, mate. Not much on the cards. Been a little busy, uh, but I appreciate you asking the question. How about you? I'm doing well. I need to, I'm going to preface this. I don't want to get too far into it, but this morning, so we record Wednesday lunchtime, and um, the Trump-Biden thing has been going on. Yeah, Have you been watching it so far? Yeah, I have. I've been streaming the debate, and I have no idea why. It's too. It's like if if you were ever at Christmas and both your grandparents, like grandfathers on either side, were alive at the same time, and they just have major philosophical differences, like there's a whole lot of them just drifting off. And then for some reason, you're there as like a sane mediator trying to keep everybody on track. It's it's nuts watching this, watching it unfold. They just keep yelling at each other and telling each other to be quiet and saying they're crazy. It's not, neither of them are doing it either favors. And I don't know why you can't find politicians in America under the age of 80. Tell me, do you have a Nick pick for us this week? I have got a Nick pick. There's a story behind it though. Uh, and you're mm-hmm. always unenthused about my Nick picks, but. Weird little side story. Uh, At the moment, for some reason, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac has shot up to the 55th most streamed song in Australia. Uh, And it generally hangs around the 300 mark. And it's all because of an Instagram video that has gone crazy from the page 420 Dogface 208. And it's this uh, like old skater dude skating down a highway, uh, mouthing the lyrics to the song while drinking cranberry juice. And it is just... I think I've watched it about a hundred times today already. It just really puts me in a mood. So go watch that video and then put on uh, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, ideally on vinyl, drink a bottle of wine and sleep with your friend's partner. Just really embrace the whole Fleetwood Mac culture. Is that what it's about? Sleeping with a friend's partner? Is that it, what it is? The whole album Rumours is about them fucking each other. Like because Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Fleetwood Mac you had... Um, uh oh what are their names there's obviously Mick Fleetwood uh and then there was Lindsay Buckingham and they were they Lindsay Mac yeah well no but they and know. they were and then you know. had the girls as well and they were in relationships with each other 
and then throughout the process of the album found out they were cheating on each other with the other wow. people and then another one was cheating on a groupie and the whole album if you listen to it is all about adultery it's fantastic wow i never knew there you and, go and, well, look, okay, I'm going to be very honest. At first, I was not excited about your Nick pick, also because before we hit record this morning, um, we had to both sit in silence while you rushed around after I reminded you, do you have a Nick pick? And so when you brought up the skateboarding guy, I wasn't, I wasn't that in, I, I didn't love it. But um, there you go. I learned something today from your Nick Pick. So thank you very much. Is, I Mac. mean, it's a, fine, it's a fine video. It's not a big time commitment. It's not going to change anyone's life. No, but the album Rumours might. And if you sleep with your missus uh, or your partner's missus, it definitely will change some people's lives around you. How did they, like, how would you have, because there would have to be board meeting discussions. They would have to <laughs> run it by managers, PR reps. They're putting it on T-shirts. Why didn't they just have a conversation, the four of them? Uh, however, no, not about that. It's important to it, it, life is art, and art is pain, Tim. And they gave us some of the most lifelike art we have experienced. It's one of the greatest albums of last century. And even more to that, they were all massive cokeheads. So it was really one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac stories is like this guy who uh, was a famous interviewer for Rolling Stone. And apparently back in the late 70s, early 80s, part of doing an interview was you would bring the cocaine. So the, the interviewer would bring the cocaine for the artist so that everyone got a bit chatty and you'd get good stuff. And he's like, oh, I'm interviewing Fleetwood Mac. I better get a whole bunch. And he's ripped it all out on a desk and been like, guys. And apparently they've all sort of stared at each other, eyeballing each other before one of them has broken and gone down and started doing it. And then they all have. And he got back and he was like, yeah, it was weird. They hesitated. And then the uh, editor of Rolling Stone at the time was like, didn't you know they literally got out of rehab yesterday? All four of oh, them had no. been in rehab together. And he, oh my God. he relapsed them within 24 hours. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. I love that they had no, no restraint, literally the first option of yeah. drugs. They <laughs> like, well, I guess I better. My, my, my partner's wife isn't going to sleep with herself. I heard that, um, I, I have heard one story about this, that at the end of it, they just decided to make up and all just line up conga line style and bang each other. And that's what the song Never Break the Chain is about. <laughs> yeah, I think you're on with that. That's that's fact. How about you? Have you got a Nick pick? I actually have a Nick pick that I think that you're going to love. Um, if, if you haven't already gotten into it, you should get into it. You specifically, Nick. Um, have you seen the brand new Netflix series called The Playbook that's just come out? No, I haven't even heard of this. What's it about? Okay. This is so deep up your alley. So what they do, um, I'm not sure how many episodes it is. I think it could be about eight. They have some of the greatest coaches of all time from all different sporting codes. And basically each episode, they sit down and they interview them. And it's not necessarily about their relationship with the sport. It's about um, their outlook on life and how they've brought that to their successful teams. And so the first episode is with Doc Rivers, who is, yep. is the famous coach of the Celtics. Uh, um, won a championship with the Celtics. He actually got fired yesterday from the Clippers. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm not even kidding. He literally got let go yesterday. He is a brilliant coach, but he's also considered uh, not so much a basketball coach, but a life coach. He he took right. the uh, he took the Los Angeles Celtics through a really troublesome period where their owner 
Uh, it turned out their owner, who was a guy called Donald, Donald Sterling, uh, is an extremely racist man, and the team didn't want to play for him. And Doc Rivers really led the rally around the, the players continuing to play, but playing for themselves and driving Donald Sterling out of the organization. So he's, he's a so brilliant leader. This is a big part of what he actually talks about was that huge controversy. But anyway, it, it kind of like when you're playing high school basketball or whatever mm. sport you played, your coach is teaching you, okay, like this is where you put your elbow when you're doing a shot and this is how you move your legs and things like that. And this is just that next level because you don't teach Kevin Garnett or like Ronaldo how yeah. to throw a ball or how to kick a ball. Um you teach them how to gel as players and how to have an outlook because they're playing a totally different game. Like they're playing the sport, but they're also playing on a huge public stage and they have PR battles and things like that where the owner like turns out is a flaming racist. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a great series. I watched a couple of them um, last night. I would highly, highly recommend it. Uh, just as, I mean, it's, it's life advice from successful leaders who I'm, yeah. uh, and maybe just a little bit behind the scenes, you know, it's not the Michael Jordan. It's not the person necessarily in all of the spotlight. It's the person behind that holding those figures up. So yeah, check that out. It's called The Playbook oh. and it's on Netflix now. I am going to be watching the shit out of that man. I'm going to go yeah. home and stuff. You know that I love sport and I love leadership and uh, anything that's going to give me a greater insight into those things is incredible. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So that's on Netflix now. Yeah. Check it out. Story number one. Lockie loves everybody. Nick, The Bachelor has wrapped up with one of the most controversial finales that we've ever seen as Lockie told both of the girls in the final two that he loves them. Um, he then cried a whole lot uh, and then he dumped Bella the next day and people are bloody up in arms about it. Pedestrian wrote an article titled Lockie hits peak fuck boy. Um, <laughs> News.com absolutely slammed him. Nick is Lockie just the worst. No. Can you love two people at once? Is that, where do you stand on that camp? I mean, this is a deep philosophical question, but from, a, I sort of think you can, we all use the word love differently. And if he does, I mean, he probably doesn't love either of them. That's where it gets a bit shitty is realistically without knowing Lockie uh, and without having watched a single episode of this show, I would suggest he's probably just got strong feelings or feels emotionally obligated to like them because uh, it's reached this point end of the competition. But he's entitled to say whatever he wants. And I think that, that ultimately, if you go on a TV show where you have 16 to 20 beautiful women paraded in front of you and you get to make out with them and get in mud baths, then you're going to end up looking like a fuckboy regardless, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very tricky path to, to try and walk. Interestingly, that question about can you love more than one person at once? Um, so we watched the whole of The Bachelor this season. This is the first time that I've ever watched a whole mm. season. Um, thank you, lockdown. And um, I'm in a group chat with a few of Ellie's friends Your who are partner, all girls. Yeah. Oh, good. And Dangerous I, territory. I, I, yeah. So I've been added into the group chat and the group chat is called Girls Chat. Um, Featuring and Tim. while while it was happening, like all of the crazy, I love you, I love you. I wrote, I said, well, I mean, you know, there are a lot of like polygamous, polyamorous relationships that are really built on the fact that people can potentially love multiple people. It was not well received, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> you put 
wait, 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 wait. Can we just stop the record for a second? You put that in a group chat with your partner and yep. her friends. Yeah. Oh, Tim. Yeah, but I wasn't saying it for me. That's exactly how it comes across, though. No, and but he, what, oh. he had said that he loved to and everybody was slamming him. And I was like, well, but there are a lot of relationships that are really built on those foundations. Like, how can you possibly say that you can't love two people, that it's not within the capacity of humanity to be able to do that when there are thousands, if not millions of relationships that work exactly in that same way? I mean, let alone the fact that if you're a parent and you have two children, you love those two children uh, potentially different equally. Different, different love. That's a different love. Uh, Is it? Yeah. There's a difference between, uh, like, I think a a sexual love and a non-sexual love. And I think that there's a really clear distinction around those things. Like you, 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 you are can biologically... definitely have a sexual interest in two people. Oh so what's God. the difference? I don't think that he is a so-called fuckboy, but I also think if you go on this show, The Bachelor, and you don't obviously just like one person the whole way through, then you are going to be labeled a fuckboy. Like this comes back to the fact we're all now so jaded around the whole process of this show. And it hasn't rated well in a few seasons, has it? Like it, it's this year it probably got a bit of like a a, a, a COVID a boost. Yeah. Yeah. But I interestingly not not a huge one. And I haven't actually been able to find the metrics on this, but mm. I've noticed that a lot of the Victorian people who I know have been more invested in it. So I wonder if that spike has come from like all of Victoria being in lockdown. Yeah for the exact length of the show. I, I like think, it literally yeah. wrapped up last week as they moved restrictions. So and it's been very very convenient for them. Well, strategic, I would say. I mean that yeah. they that TV networks lengthen and shorten shows dependent on ratings and situations all the time. So I'd say strategically this is their big money spinner and they've managed to to ply that. But there has I feel like the last popular bachelor couple was really Maddie J and and Laura and that was like three and a half years ago. So mm. they've, they've shit and they've tried some stuff since then. I mean, they've tried Sophie Monk. They've tried uh, the honey badger. Now they've reverted. Now they've got two sisters hanging out on the other side. Twins, Basil. Twins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just about. But yeah, so it's, 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 they're obviously trying to milk the last possible stuff they can out of this. And it's good for ratings if he says he loves this chick, but she was sort of the villain all along, wasn't she? So now she'll go on to have a successful podcast career anyway. <laughs> yeah. She she was actually like the front runner at the very start of the season and then they twisted it because uh, she didn't like the other girl and she started spreading rumors around about her saying that Irina was toxic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she she kind of experienced both things. I actually have I have a theory on this that I'm so surprised I haven't heard being spoken about in other places. Hit me. And that is, I don't know why people aren't just accepting that there are producers on these shows who make people <laughs> say things. Like, so here's here's what's happened on this show. Normally, um, the bachelor or bachelorette, like the key person, never says, never drops the L word. Um, up until the very final moment where they say, yes, I choose you. So normally there's just like these little awkward moments sprinkled along the way where one of the girls says, hey, I love you. And the bachelor has to go, thanks, mate. Cheers. Hope I catch you in the final two. Um, this, uh, this season, what was so controversial was he said, I love you to both girls prematurely. I wonder if it's because 
he actually did love or, or want to say, I love you to Irina. And I wonder if he did let it slip when Irina had been saying, I love you to him all of the time. And then producers freaked out and they went, well, you got to say it to the other one. Because you can't say it to one. If you only say it to one, then just cancel the finale, drop the last two episodes, because we all already know who's going to win. It's the yeah. one who he's saying I love you to. But you got to remember that we're consumers, Tim, and we want to consume the romance. We don't want to know that there are producers involved in this. I mean, the most honest Bachelor series we have probably, although that said, some of them have gone on to get married and have children. That That is probably pretty honest. But the, pretty honest. I don't think that they're still doing that for PR. <laughs> hey, man, God. anything for followers and likes, all right? Um, but in all honesty, the one I thought got a rough ride, and this is an unpopular opinion, is the Honey Badger. Honey Badger. Because he has every right to get to the end of the show and be like, look, you're not for me. I'm not into it. I'm sorry. None of you were. It turns out I was doing this for money because I have a really big family that requires a lot of money. Um, and I have, a, you know, a disabled sibling that I really need to care for. And that, and then he got crucified. So maybe yeah. this locky guy is like, well, I need to throw the love word around left, right, and center so I don't become this goddamn honey badger dude and have to move to the Northern Territory and join an SAS TV show. Like maybe that's what on his mind is is on his mind the whole way through. Is that what the honey badger is doing now? He's yeah. not just playing rugby union for Australia. No, he's, he's doing on the, the SAS, SAS show. show with. He's getting thrown out of planes with Chappelle Corby and Roxy Jasenko. So oh if you gosh. don't say I love you to someone, that's your future. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, I don't know. As a side note, we slam The Bachelor and reality TV all the time. I think that they did really well this season. I think they did an amazing job. Oh, they handled, I mean, they did uh, like COVID. Like it was the best show during COVID because it actually took COVID in. It was the only show that you could watch where people were social distancing and doing all those things in real time as I was having to do it. So I think for once... I think credit where credit's due. Hats off to you, producers of The Bachelor. I'm not saying it. You can't make me say it and I'm not going to. <laughs> it's just I'm not going to happen, mate. <laughs> Story number two. Nick, the elite Sydney private school called Shaw has been blowing up in the news after a muck-up day scavenger hunt was discovered and leaked to the media. The hunt had about 150 really terrible challenges on it for the uh, year 12 kids to do. Some of the challenges included spit on a homeless person, have sex with a woman who's over 40, shit on a train, and fly to Melbourne. Um, the school headmaster has gotten involved, the uh, police have gotten involved, and Gladys Berejiklian has even gotten involved. Everybody is slamming these kids. Nick, did these boys just ruin Muck Up Day for everyone? <laughs> Well, it's a real uh, Sydney thing. It's a muck-up day in general is a real New South Wales thing. I, I don't, I don't know if it's a thing in Victoria, but it's it's never been a uh, a huge celebration in Queensland. We've never, um, really? yeah, we don't go hard out on it up here. Uh, but I'm I'm more curious to peek behind the curtain uh, here, Tim, because you uh, went to quite a privileged private school in Sydney. Was it, does this behaviour surprise you in any way whatsoever? Um, does it surprise me? I did go to a private school in Sydney. Um, just for the record, was there on a big dog academic scholarship. Probably wouldn't have been there otherwise. <laughs> <but> we'll count. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I, I kind of grew up around this world. Does it surprise me? The question that I have is, were these kids going to actually do any of these things? Yeah, um, some and, were going to try. Is- some were obviously going to try. And this is the kind of shit talk that entitled young men do all the time. This has just been blown mm-hmm. up publicly. I well, I, I take that back. The sex stuff is the 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 spitting on a homeless person is just just despicable. That's that's yeah. just grossly despicable. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that there was a bunch of entitled young, uh, wealthy uh, eastern suburbs teenagers trying to have sex with women over forty or below a certain ranking or over a certain weight. Yeah. Like yeah. that side of things doesn't surprise me. I think it's been really interesting to follow some of the blowback posts this. Like, have you seen the hashtag proud sure mums? Uh, I have. So there's, it's one of my favorite things on the internet. Go ahead. It, because it's become a, so it started as a legitimate way for these hoity toity Eastern suburbs mums in Sydney to, I to think it's North Shore proud. just by the way. Oh, I think North it's Shore? the North Sorry, Shore. I don't know. Either way, these hoity toity Sydney mums. Um, to sort of speak about how proud they are of their sons going to the school, but it's very quickly become the new Batuta advocate of just extremely satirical posts by people, uh, and it is great reading. Uh, it's really I have some of them. Do you want? Do you want yeah, some? Please so, hit us. So it started with, and I, I mean, it started with an interesting thing, but it turned into people just slamming it. So one of my favorites is, um, I'm a hashtag proud Shaw mum, and my little Merrick is a good boy. Every Sunday he gives arms to the public school children out of the window of our BMW. <laughs> um, a, a, another one that I love is, there is no way my two boys, Morgan and Stanley, are homophobes or misogynists. They've grown up their entire lives with a gay butler and their girlfriends are always nines or tens. Couldn't be prouder. <laughs> yeah, that's my favourite one. I love that one the most. That's so fantastic. I think, you know, it, it just talks more about the systemic class issues that exist in Australia and that there is this really private elite world that most of us don't even know exists. And there is even weird statistics around it if you look at upper elite leadership within Australia, specifically, not necessarily politics, but specifically when it comes to our Supreme Court judges uh, and and people in high authority and banking roles and things like that. A lot of them come from a very small circle of schools in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. And Mm. it's, it's really interesting that the general public, us included, don't know more about this and don't know that there are these class issues in Australia. Yeah, that is really interesting. I mean, even I don't know uh, much about that. And and I should say as well that the school that I ha- happen to go to isn't one of these schools. It's not one of these like boys, boys, boys. It's actually a um, co-ed non-denominational um, school. So there, there wasn't, and it was actually um, owned and run by, uh, we had a, a gay principal and a gay owner. And pro- I would say like a third of our teachers were, were gay. It was super, super inclusive. Mm. Um so my experience of a private school in Sydney was not uh, was not anything like this this type of stuff. Like we we were very very hard and fast with um uh, like anti bullying rules and um there there was a lot of openness for um a number of kids who who were out and proud and you know had basically it was it was a very inclusive um, environment to grow up in. So I think that that was very good for me. Yeah, um, absolutely. If we so, so I haven't experienced this exactly. Um, if we do go back to the hashtag Proudshaw Mum thing, I know that those tweets are really funny, 
But at the core of it, so um, one of the real Proud Shaw Mum tweets is so many boys have been getting verbally abused, screamed at, and screamed at by the public. Hashtag Proud Shaw Mum. And do you think that these parents have a right to defend their children? Like if you have a year seven kid who's been going to the school for a few months, um, like these kids shouldn't be dragged through the mud publicly uh, in the news across the entire country because of the actions of a small number of kids years above them who they've never met or, and have nothing to do with? Oh, we're going, oh, we could be, look. I mean, I understand the Proud Shore Mum thing. I'm not saying that we should be standing up for the boys who are involved in this, but I no, am no, saying no, that once no, the no, media starts to get here, involved. No, but and herein we... lies the issue, man. Yeah. So do you think that the boys involved in it should be named because then they are going to be absolutely vilified or do you think that they should stand in unity? Because I mean, we're talking about some weird reverse discrimination stuff here mm. because this is a group that chose actively to discriminate against people who in no way could defend themselves. And we're also talking in hyperbole. Like where is the actual specific examples of people screaming at these children? I haven't seen videos of it other than that one hashtag tag from that mum so but like, at the same time we're also speaking about hyperbole about the kids and these terrible activities because unless something is done and this is one thing that i think like i do feel in a way for some of these boys because they are on the verge they would be 17 and 18 and they're at that point of realizing that their actions have real ramifications and they're also in that part of their lives where it's all about trying to make each other laugh and things like that so um, they published and, and it though, man. they wrote this and they sent it out it was a physical thing it was done it was it was published and the other thing is they need to learn that there is real world actions and the, yeah. and to be honest the real world actions that they're going to face are so much less than a young indigenous kid from a poor area that maybe yeah. throws a milkshake on a cop car. That kid's going to yeah, get the shit true. beaten out of him and put in jail. Whereas the worst thing that's going to happen to these kids is they're going to have a sad three weeks and then they're going to go get internships at some of the biggest accounting firms in the country. Like the, the, when, when you're talking about repercussions for actions, I think it's important to put it in perspective. And that's when it comes down to privilege as well. Like when we talk about white privilege, the privilege is that I've never had to defend my actions. I've never had to miss out on a job because of the color of my skin or because of my sex or because of my sexual preferences. And that's mm -hmm. something that th that's a world that these, a lot of these kids are going to be coming from as well. So I think part of it is not like, I don't know. I don't really care if they cop a little bit of shit because they go to a rich school because the people that are giving that shit are probably from far worse sections of society or have had the had the odds far more stacked against them like i understand about being proud for your children but have a little bit of humility for your situation as well mm. i really like what you're saying and i really like uh, um and appreciate your perspective the only um line that i see is that uh what is the cost of making a joke? And I don't agree with these jokes and I um, don't think that they're particularly funny, but I also think that people have the right to make gross or offensive jokes. Like I, I think that you should be allowed to. I think the difference between making a joke and doing these things, like if someone was actually pursuing any of these and if they were like, okay, we've got a photo of a kid trying to shit on a train or trying to spit on a homeless person, then 
yeah, like a hundred percent, I think throw every single uh, letter of a rule book at them. But at the same time, um, I, I mean, certain things are things that you might see happening in a Seth Rogen movie or in a sketch on YouTube or on TikTok um, that, that's being acted out by friends. And so just without knowing the full context of the way in which these things were were written, I don't know if we should be assuming that they really intended on doing all of this stuff. And even though I don't think it's funny and I don't think uh, that it should be encouraged, I do think that you, people have the right to joke about whatever they want. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Economy, like the, I think the best way to think about comedy is a free market economy. And this is a situation where the market has corrected itself. Like if, if, if you're saying that this is, it's like uh, the comedian, uh, I cannot think of his name, but we discussed him a few podcasts ago. I think his last name's Butterfield. And oh, I think it's Joel Butterfield. Yeah, yeah. the Australian guy who made yeah. the super terrible racist joke about um, the uh, shooting in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he that joke went out. He got condemned for that. Uh, there was a little bit of backlash and now he's back doing comedy. And that's what we both during that podcast said we wanted to see happen because it's yeah. him pushing a boundary. He's made a joke. The general public's reacted. And if you want to allay those principles to this, the same thing sort of happened. Like in three months time, if you mentioned Shaw College, I'm probably not even going to know what you're talking about. But at this point in time, it's important for those. I think it's really important for those young men because they haven't been named. Uh, mm-hmm. it's really important for them to sit at home and go, oh shit, this had a huge, severe impact, not only on me, but my cohort and brought, brought, uh, a lack of credibility to my school as well. And they, yeah. and they are going to feel that way and they are probably going to feel shitty for a bit of time and then they'll feel fine again and, and it'll go on and they'll know they did the wrong thing. Like, I, I don't think that we should hang these people. Um, but I, I'm not upset that there's been a little bit of bite back at this cause it's deserved. Yeah. I think you I think you've probably hit the nail on the head with that point. I think you're right that there is a strong real world backlash and this is probably teaching them and that entire school and that entire culture yeah. um, of kids, a really strong real world lesson. Um, but I think that, uh, like the New South Wales police came out with a statement where they basically said, we will not have any leniency for any of these actions. And I think watching to see if any of those actions are actually going to happen is a very important thing as well to remember. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I agree completely. Story number three. What if he just doesn't leave? Nick, literally while we've been recording this, Trump and Biden have been having their first live debate. It has been an absolute shit show. Before I get to um, the, the heart of story number three, firstly, you've been watching it as well, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, I have. What's your number one takeaway? Because it's wild. Oh, my biggest takeaway is that it's just two old men yelling at each other. Like there is, there's, there's no semblance of normalcy and neither are making good points. And the other weird thing is that there is no fact checking involved in this debate whatsoever. Both of them are just speaking entirely in hyperbole or entirely in in just going like, oh, my friend said this, or many people have come up to me and told me this. And every time Joe Biden tries to make a point, Donald Trump just speaks over him. It's, it's wild. My favorite part of it is Chris Wallace. So he's the moderator. I think that he deserves, I don't know if there's like a Golden Globe, an Emmy, an Oscar, 
uh, a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, he's doing so well to try and pull them apart and keep it as a debate. I think that's going to be one of the biggest parts of the story as soon as it finishes. Interestingly, I found an article from him saying, my job is to be as invisible as possible. That was him going into the debate. Well, he um, has not done a good job of that. <laughs> he's not done it. it not through choice. He has had to actively, I think the biggest headline coming out of it, and we're trying to guess these because obviously this is real world. By the time you listen to this, it's going to be Wednesday afternoon or three the week i donald trump still will not condemn he will not directly condemn white supremacists yeah weird weird that um they really pushed him on that and they said this is your chance just say it just say i condemn white supremacists and he wouldn't he said well you know of course but really the real problem is the left yeah so everything that he said nothing sticks to him my favorite tweet that's come out so far is trevor noah who tweeted um, Chris Wallace's debate performance is a great reminder that kindergarten teachers are underpaid, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> That's but fantastic. The story that I wanted to get into around uh, Trump and Biden is basically we've been watching all day. Trump has broken the rules today. He's been breaking the rules nonstop for the last four years. And the final rule that he could potentially break is if he loses the election, he may refuse to leave the office. Um, I found an article from CNN that lists eight times in the last month where he's alluded to the fact that he would not accept the election results if he loses. I mean, are we actually watching a democracy become a dictatorship? Potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Potentially. And this started before he was elected. Uh, there's, there's a lot of YouTube clips you can go back and watch before he's even elected the first time where he makes comments along the lines of, you're going to want more than eight years of me. I might just have to give you a third term. It's things like that. So the wow. only person he cedes power to is someone that he has, has entrusted with it. And I think it could be someone like a Jared Kushner or an Ivanka Trump or, a, uh, you know, it's going to be, I do, no, I actually believe, and I've been saying it to friends for the past three years, that if he was ever to lose an election, I don't necessarily think he is going to leave peacefully. And he has a weirdly large supporter group that are extremely well armed uh, mm. that, that could potentially try to help him start a sort of civil war. It's pretty scary to talk about that this stuff is like, we're not being way out here taking guesses these are real quotes that he's saying um i've got here uh september 13 he was at a rally he said the democrats are trying to rig this election because that's the only way they're going to win so he keeps kind of alluding to the fact that if he wins it's because of democratic cheating basically yeah, which is and weird he, because and, and from my perspective there's a lot of Republican cheating going on. Like if you look at the way ballot boxes are positioned, the lineup for certain uh, suburbs that have a large number of minorities in them mm. take a long time to vote. Lots of different de-incentivizing, like disincentivizing poor people to not vote uh, or to go vote. It's just, it, it, it is, it's a complete shit show. America, can right? I, can, can I ask, because I genuinely don't know this, Let's say he refused to leave office. Let's say he was like, nope, the election was rigged. We're not going to accept it. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I just, I find it so hard to say with a straight face after how involved Russia was <laughs> and how rigged the last election already was proven to be. But let's say he loses the election. No, it was rigged. What series of events would actually happen? Like, what happens then? Oh, he do you would... think? 
depends if he has the support of his party or not. It depends because the difference between uh, America and Australia on a really base level in terms of the political and the electoral system is they vote directly for presidents, whereas our, we vote for a party and then our party elects a leader. That's why mm. uh, there's been a few situations, particularly in the past decade in Australia, where the party has rolled our elected leader. Um, yep. So if he had the support of the Republican Party, which I doubt he would, um, they, I guess, would push to move to change the Constitution and to change the way America is run. And there's a really weird, like, amongst the Republican Party, there's a weird mix of people who are called, uh, I believe it's originalists, who believe that the Constitution can't be changed and it has to be interpreted the exact way it's written. And then there's mm -hmm. other people that thinks it's flexible for movement. So, ultimately... I don't think that the Republican Party would support him. If he was to push forward with it, I don't think they'd support him, which means he would have to create some form of militia. It's really interesting because there's a controversial guy um, who started Vice News and he now runs uh, like a, essentially a Donald Trump-leaning militia wow. uh, called The Good Boys. I don't know if you've heard of this. It was actually mentioned no. in the debate briefly where he said... Good boys stand down, but stand by. And these good boys, uh, it's like a almost like a like a Rotary Club of these these ultra white ring white white right wing alt right group that earn badges and they move up the ranks in this group by committing acts of violence against uh, other people. And so it was weird for them to get a direct reference in in the debate for a start mm. because that was brought on by him. But it's also weird that this group is gaining like heaps of movement. It, it's, it's very Gilead from um, a handmaid's tale esque the way this, this revolution is coming about, but I don't think he'd have enough power. I, I deep down. I think it would just become, there would still be a changing of the guard, but I don't think he's got enough power to actually control the outcome. I think that it's a bluff. Um, I think that like so many things that he has done, I think it's it's one huge bluff and it's an idea that he's letting people buy into. Um, and if we look at some of the promises that he has made, you know, um, launch his own healthcare and fix Obamacare, he hasn't done it. Um, build the wall, well, he's had four years. They've got like a couple of kilometers of this wall. There's still like literally thousands of kilometers that mm. it hasn't happened. Make Mexico pay for it. I mean, like I'm not an American political journalist, but even from where I'm sitting, it's very, very easy to see that we're talking about somebody who has a real um, comfort and propensity to just saying things yeah. um, and putting it out there in the world. And the weird thing is there's actually like a very strong power in that because there are people who buy into those concepts and those ideals and they don't continue to check in and follow up to see whether or not they're happening or not. But at the same time, sometimes those ideas are powerful enough. Um, and so I think just the fact that he is making this bluff, like I wonder if people will come around to his side because they feel like there's no point voting the other way anyway. Um, I wonder if that's going to give Trump supporters more of a reason to vote because they feel even stronger aligned. Like, look at this guy. He's, he's like never going to be removed from this office. We've got to keep him in there. Um, so I think that there's a lot of power in him just putting it out into the world. Um, and the other thing that I think that's 
really interesting about it, and I actually feel bad about even having this conversation, is the more that he puts it out, the more he he's kind of putting it on the table as an option. Yeah. So now when people interview him, they say, you know, is it true that you're going to, if you, if you don't win, that you won't leave office. And as soon as you even present that to him as an option, it almost uh, justifies it and makes it viable in the same way that if I said to you, do you want coffee or tea? There's an assumption that both of those options are possible. Whereas if people say you can only have tea, we only have tea then we're kind of sticking by the rules. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think that you've hit the nail on the head. You make some really great points. And I think that the biggest thing is that Donald Trump's entire reign has been based on division. And this yeah. is just another extremely divisive statement. Like it's a statement that, that that makes people, I think you've hit the nail on the head, that it's it makes his supporters feel stronger about being part of the Trump movement, which is what he's always been built around. And it demoralizes mm. his opposition. And, and his entire, and it was a point that Joe Biden actually kept bringing up in the debate was that I want to be about inclusion and you're about division. The only problem is that all of Joe Biden's points got taken away by the fact that Donald Trump spoke over him and by the fact that he's, he's an old man with a, with a really weak voice. And I'm, when I say weak voice, I mean, literally the tone, like it doesn't portray authority. And, and that's something that, from a marketing perspective is not ideal. Like, especially in a country like America, where you have this expectation to have strong, eloquent, sharp presidents. Like it's been a big thing for them. And it's been a big thing that Donald Trump's been built around. It's why he wears a red tie because red shows authority and strength and power. Uh, and it's, and it's why he has these massive rallies that are really reminiscent like the other leaders that we've seen do this are your Benito Mussolini's or your your Adolf Hitler's, and I'm not comparing him to the to them, but I'm saying it's but the a, style of presentation. Exactly. Yeah, it's a show. Yeah, it's a show, and that's what buys people into it. Is they're part of the big show, and they're on the winning team, and Americans love being on the winning team. So yeah. I do, I do think you're right. I I I would tend to agree. I think ultimately he will cede power relatively respectfully. But nothing he's done up to that point can lead us to think that that is the case. Like he's the first president to just consistently, openly shit talk his predecessors and to claim he's the greatest president ever. And he's the first president to have reporters just shit talk him to, to his face. Yeah, I think it's uh, you can see though when he decides to change tactic how quickly and comfortably he does that. So, yeah. for example, with the locker up movement that he started around Hillary, and literally after he got into power, he was still you know going to these like big weird campaign performances that he didn't need to do anymore because the campaign was over. And when people would chant locker up, he he would say, "All right, all right, it was that you know that was a good that was a good uh, tactic, wasn't it? All right, let's <laughs> drop that now." Yeah, like he literally said those things. Yeah. So I think that Donald Trump lives in a world where tactics and reality are totally separate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's very possible that he is going to push this line. No, I will not give up power peacefully up until the day that he loses it, in which case I really hope and I do think that he will just walk out the Even door. Even once he loses it, though, he will claim the election was rigged. He, yeah. He, he oh, wants, yeah. In years to come, he will be like, ah, they got me there, you know. 
He's not going to actively suggest that the American people didn't vote for him, even though the majority of American people didn't vote for him at the last election. The first time. Yeah. The first time. <laughs> so, yeah, right, well, swings and I'm, roundabouts. I'm really interested to see what stories do come out. Like like we've said a couple of times, we are recording this while uh, the debate is actually happening. So I can't wait to see the biggest stories that do come out of it. And maybe we'll do a check-in next week as well. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, thanks so much for hanging out with us and listening to Off Air. If you want to follow up on any of the stories, we have a Facebook group. We would love to hear from you. You can contact us in there. Uh, just search Off Air on Facebook and you can join the group or like the page. Nick, have a great week. You as well, mate. Chat to you next week.